James chapter 4. Um, as you're turning there, we're going to stand up in just a second and read our text. As I said with the kiddos, we're in, in week 3 of our series, It's Complicated. Um, we looked in, in week 1 about why we bother. Is it really worth it? The answer is obviously yes. Uh, we don't have the luxury as followers of Jesus to say well, it's not worth those complicated relationships because Jesus asked and did that for us as well. We looked at our words last week about words matter. What we say comes out of our mouth, but yes, it, it's, an, it's an overflow of what's in the heart. Uh, and today we're going to talk about conflict and things like that. So um, it's a part of life. It's every day. I think anybody who says that they don't struggle with that is, it, it, we'll talk about honesty if we need to. I was just teasing, but uh, it's a reality of life. And, and just full disclosure, what we're talking about today is not just conflict of, of, of people out there with, quote, those people. We're talking about conflict in the body. James is specifically talking about brothers and sisters in Christ, followers of Jesus, that are at odds, okay? Newsflash, people that are Christians still have problems. We're still going to struggle. We're still going to have conflict. We're still going to struggle through things. So that being said, let's stand together if you would. We'll read our text. We're going to go 1 through 12. We'll pray, and then we're going to walk through this together. James chapter 4, starting in verse 1, go to 12. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the, your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and you fight. You don't have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God, or do you think that Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He caused to live in us envies intensely? But He gives us more grace. That is why the Scripture says God opposes, opposes the proud excuse me, and gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you... We're not keeping it, but you're sitting in judgment upon it. There's only one lawgiver and one judge who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge? Your neighbor. Let's pray together. Take a deep breath, relax. It's a heavy text. There's a lot going on here, but it's good. It's good for us to look and see what God tells us. Um, I know I mentioned it earlier, I'm going to say it again, I say it every week, just take a deep breath, relax, and just for a moment, um, maybe you've had a great week, maybe it's been crazy, maybe life's going well, maybe it's not. We're in this time and we're in this space together, this corporate worship gathering with other people that we had this opportunity to, to set all of our affections, our desires, push everything to the margins and give Him our best. So in your own heart, in your own way, would you just ask him to do something today? If that's what you really want, if your desire is to put yourself against the word of God and to let his spirit change you, shape you, and mold you so that you're different when you leave, would you ask him to do that?
Father, it's a joy to come today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you're already doing in the service. Uh, you're worthy of anything we can offer you. You're worthy of the very best we can offer you today. So help us continue to do that. And Father, as we look at a difficult text, a very, very real, just kind of everyday street-level Christianity and what it means to live as followers of Jesus in a complicated world, uh, help us to, uh, help me, help us to just not be thinking about the other people that we have conflict with, but help us to do what we illustrated in the children's sermon of hold the mirror of your word and your spirit in front of us so that we can look at ourselves and see how we can change and shape and do better uh, to serve you and others. Be with us in this day. We ask it in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we all have conflict. We all have things that go on in life. And, and, and in case anybody in this room is thinking, yes, pastor, I have conflict. Let me point them out to you. If I could do that, don't do that. I'm just kidding. But it, it is very tempting and very easy. I don't care if you're a child. And sometimes, isn't it true that sometimes we, we ask a lot of our kids that we as adults think we don't have to do? Isn't it true? Like, look, I was looking at the kids this morning, just to push pause in the sermon, I was looking at the kids with a mirror, and I was looking at their sweet faces, and I was like, this reality of asking them to say, hey, instead of having an argument with your brother, your sister, or blaming somebody at school, and pointing out about it's them, it's them, it's them, asking a child to say, no, let's look at, our, look at the mirror, look at us. It's the same thing as parents we want our kids to do, but sometimes as adults, it's ho- so hard to say, no, this is for me, this is for us. So us as adults, there is conflict, and it's not all about just blaming other people. I I, I ran across a statement. I don't know whose it is. It's not mine, but I thought it was kind of clever. He said this, to live above with the saints we love, that will be glory. To live below with the saints we know, that's quite a different story. <laughs> I, love, I love that. I don't know who wrote that. I wish, I, I, that's why I haven't quoted. I don't know who it is, but I found that. But can we all agree that doing life, even with brothers and sisters that say we love Jesus, it is complicated and life will get tough. And it is easy to think in glory, it's going to be great. But right now, it's hard. Conflict happens. James is going to tell us really quick. He's not going to say, hey, here's how to solve all, but he's going to say, let's look at this. Look at verse one. Let's get right to the, to the, to the meat of it today. What's going to cause it? What causes the conflict? He says in verse 1, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Now let's talk about it for just a minute. Quarrels refers to fighting without weapons. It's not really like a fist fight or a physical match. It's talking about like basically uh, relational altercations, conflicts, skirmishes, breaking out, lines being drawn, choosing sides, positions dug in firmly. Believers ceasing to be peacemakers, but rather becoming the antagonist in conflict of saying, no, I'm not going to be a peacemaker. But pursuing, creating, and even possibly starting or escalating the conflict. Now, some conflicts, just in case you're thinking, uh, uh, some conflicts and disagreements, they're they're non-negotiable. As we stand for things like truth and justice and righteousness, or evil. We're going to go against all these kind of things, but if, can we just, full disclosure, most of the things that we do with everyday life, that ain't it. Most of the conflicts, they're not caused because we're standing for something that is righteous and truth, and those things are happening, I hope so, but if most of them, they're become, we have dug in our sides, and we have our, our, our people versus their people, or my thoughts versus your thoughts, or what I think happened, or I'm the, you're, all these things happen, and Believers, we, we, we entrench ourselves and we basically draw lines. And the church, if we're not careful, the capital C church, the global church, not this church, but it's us too, can become 
the battleground for fights and arguments and quarrels. Newsflash, fights happen within church. I've told you stories before about churches that have split over carpet colors, how we're going to paint the bathrooms. But can I tell you this? Arguments happen in churches too. People get upset. They get frustrated. This is what's taken on here. I'll talk about that in just a minute. But look what James is saying. He's he's saying we start by looking in the mirror, looking at ourselves. Look at verse 2 through 3. Now, if you have your own Bibles, I want you to see how many times you see the word you. He's not going to say they, they, they. Look at what he says. He's saying, hey, these desires, they're battling within you. But look at verse 2. He says, you desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask. But when you ask, you don't receive. Because when you ask, you do it with the wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. In the translation that I'm reading from, I think 13 times he says you. I'm not that smart, but I know repetition matters. And James is making a point. If you even add in your at the end, that's 14 times. He's making a point. It's the cause. He's saying we look at ourselves. There is something going on internally. And I know what you may be thinking that, Pastor, here we go again. Tell me how it's all about me. Tell me to look in my mirror, my blood, my heart, my this, my this. When is the time for me to say they are wrong, they're the ones that are doing it wrong? Now, there's a time and a place for that. There's a way to handle that with talking to people, having conversations, asking for forgiveness, stepping in in repentance, having side conversations with somebody to stand against wrong and injustice. If they don't listen, we're going to talk somebody else with this. Doing things that are not going to cause the church to splinter or, fa- or, 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 or fract- fracture, excuse me, or those kind of things. There are things to do that. But again, the starting point of conflict is James is saying, we cannot get lost in this blah, blah, blah of it's not about me, what about them and they. He's asking for everybody who are brothers and sisters to say, start with yourself. Think of it as parents when you're dealing with your kids. How, isn't it a lot easier if you say, quit worrying about your brother or sister? I'm not calling anybody out. Quit worrying about people. Just If you take care of your business, if you do what I'm asking you to do, life in the family is going to be a lot better. Sometimes I think that's what God's doing is that the church is saying, guys, if you will quit worrying about everybody else and just take care of your business and represent me, our family, the church of God, and quit thinking you're entrenched in your rightness or whatever, and quit thinking all of these pride and egos and, and, and all of these things, and these things that you're making such a big deal, but they're really not, just like our family, life may be a little smoother. Conflict in and amongst God's people is not a new thing. Quickly, I could go back Abraham and Lot <laughs> in the Old Testament. They argued over land and water rights. In the New Testament, God's chosen people, the 12, before the 11, before Judas left. What did they argue about, remember? Well, I wish I could say we, we stood for domestic civil issues, politics, relationships, injustice. We stood for that. That's what they are. No, no, no. These 11 or 12, you know what they argued about? Who's the greatest? They sat around the table with Jesus and they fought about who's the best one of all of them. Who's going to have the best seat? These bunch of self-righteous followers of Christ are standing in the face of Jesus and they're arguing, having conflict over who's the best. You ever wonder why Jesus didn't want to go, I'm just going to, we're starting over. Let's do it again. Peter and Paul, 
They argued. In Galatians, I I believe it was Paul told Peter to his face, he said, you're a hypocrite. To the Jews, you act like the Jews, but to the Gentiles, you act like the Gentiles. In the Galatian church, they're fighting and they're devouring each other. In the Corinthian church, the people that are followers of Jesus, they're arguing, they're taking people to court. There's just so much strife. So it's not a new thing. 22. But we start by looking at ourselves. James fills in the gaps if you want to. I'm going to jump around, so just stay with me if you don't mind. James, James fills in the gaps, and in verse 11, if you want to skip to verse 11, he's going to tell us what's going on here. Just to fill in the gaps, I'm going to come back. I'm going to give you some practical things to write down, so please do so. But he's going to fill in the gaps in case we're wondering what's going on between these guys. Look at verse 11. We're, we're going to jump around. In verse 11, what's going on with these believers? He says, brothers and sisters, do not slander each other. Anyone who speaks against their brother or sister judges them against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're speaking about it, but you're sitting on judgment seats. There's only one lawgiver and one judge, and there's only one who's able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? So they're bad-mouthing each other. That doesn't happen in our church, does it? That doesn't happen in the body of Christ these days, right? No, we don't do that. These followers of Christ, they're, they're devouring, they're bad-mouthing each other. And James is telling them, you've got to stop it. This internal conflict, if, if you, you don't have to turn there, but it, it's... it's, it's it's what James is after. In the beginning of this book, James chapter 1, it's on the screen. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And after that desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. You know what he said earlier in that? He's basically saying, it's not other people. Quit blame. You would tell your kids this. Quit blaming others for your actions. Quit blaming those people. You are responsible for your actions. James is saying the same thing. but it's happening within us. Paul mentioned this in Romans 7, but he talks about in his inner being, he delights in God's law, but there's another law that's working. He calls it a war being waged in his mind. It's making him a prisoner of the law, of the sin that's working within him. He's basically saying, I want to do what's right, and I'm doing what's wrong. He said, there's a war going on between what's, what's in my heart. In here, that's why we look at these kids and say, we've got to look at our hearts and look and we'll see what's going on here. Now, the struggle we have with other people, it may be a sign of a struggle that's going on with us. I had a little joke note in there. I said, what, pastor, I love me. I'm good. It's, I got no issues. It's all the other people. But it's, the problem is, in verse 1, excuse, there's a fly up here. When, when he's telling us what causes fights, it, it's the stuff that battles within us. When we choose our glory over God's glory. Do you remember last week when I said this about our words? If you weren't here, let me, let me fill you in on this. Paul Tripp had a quote, and uh, I'm going to butcher it, but it basically says, when we choose our words as our own, we steal God's glory. We take glory from the immortal God, pure and holy. We take glory from him because we, as followers, we choose our words and see as if they're our own. I talked about stewarding our words. We talked about stewarding resources, our tithes, our offerings, our money, our talents. we got to steward our words, and and it's the same thing with our conflict. It's when God's glory gets trumped by self-glory. What matters to me is more important than anything. Rhetorically speaking, have you ever had a conflict where you didn't really, if if you're honest, be honest. Not that you're going to say anything. Nobody's talking in here. I'm the only one talking. Have you ever been in a conversation or an argument or a, a, a conflict where you, if you're honest, you don't care what people think about God? 
I'm going to say I've been, I'm at the top of this list. Whenever you're, I don't care if it's your spouse, your kids, a coworker. It could be somebody in the community. It could be somebody in this church. It could be anybody. But in that moment, you don't care. God's glory doesn't mean diddly squat because you're so mad and so angry. Just like my three-year-old, I said the last couple of weeks, I'm mad. I can say and do what I want. No, you can't. We hijack the glory of God when we use our words as our own. We hijack the glory of God when we put ourselves in the center and make it all about us. James says, that's why we got to look at our hearts. There's a war going on, a waging war that's taking place. And sometimes it's about our own comfort, our own pleasure, our own rights, our own power, our own control. And we dig in. I dig in. And it becomes no longer about God. God is off the table. It becomes more about, I'm going to win this argument. I'm going to let them know I'm right. I was the victim here. They were wrong. I will when they will. All that kind of fun stuff. And we entrench in. And God says, I get no glory by how you're doing that. I get no glory for that. Quickly, still a lot more to cover. But on those three, if I can give you a couple from 11 to 12, let me give you three things from those three verses that James tells us that how we can deal better, okay? If you're a note taker, this is good. If you're not, just act like you're writing it down. It'll, be, it'll make you feel better, okay? Number one, when we deal with things, make sure it's a family matter. This is between brothers and sisters. This is against believers. This is not about people that don't know Christ. We're talking, this is brothers and sisters. So when we have disagreements or conflict, remember that this is a family matter, okay? Number two, get off the judge's seat. Quickly, verse 12 there is one lawgiver and there is one judge. And you know what? It ain't me and it ain't you. Now, as powerful and as hard as that is to even say on the stage and to, to, to hear, I think if we're all honest, we, we, when we get entrenched in our conflict, we, we're right, they're wrong. I, let me tell you why they're wrong. Let me tell so-and-so why I think they're wrong. We become judge, jury, and God help us. Hope not executioner, okay? We become all those things. But James tells us, hey, this is a family matter. This is between family. Number two, get off the judge's seat. And number three, use your words wisely. When he's talking about, hey, you're, you're, you're devouring each other. I won't get into that because I used the whole sermon last week about this. But let's go back to verse 4, and we're going to finish up our text. So those are some basic things. Verse 4, James is going to crank up the heat a little bit. This isn't a small issue. He's going to compare it to spiritual adultery when you choose to live in conflict and say, no, I'm more important than God. Look at what he says. You adulterous people. Like, can I be honest with you? If I'm, if I'm speaking this or reading this, like, what's up, James? Come on. <laughs> You're hammering us. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means that you are enemies or at enmity against God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. James uses this metaphor to, to literally crank it up. He wants you to know, he wants me to know, he wants the church to know that when we choose our glory over God's glory, we allow these conflicts to, to tarnish and, and, and do all these things. It's not just a bad idea. He says we're cheating on God, what we're doing. We're allowing our affections and our desires to be on other things. And you know what? In those moments, that's what matters. And some of those things may be the world, maybe I'm going to be right, I'm going to win, I'm the victim, I'm entitled, all these things. And we entrench in and we don't want to look at the, the heart of the matter. <clears throat> Sometimes it could be, as I put my notes here, what, what's more important in those moments, those conflicts, than God's glory? And you might say, well, nothing, Pastor. That's not true. I just told you all ago. Sometimes in those moments, if we're honest, we don't care about God's glory. We just want to win the argument. You ever been in an argument with somebody and you're like, the last thing you're thinking about is God? 
conflict with somebody in town or whatever, I guarantee you it's not just me. You're all thinking, I'm just thinking about Jesus right now. All I care about is his glory, pastor. No. That's why this is spirit-filled stuff, but it doesn't mean we just ignore it and go like, no, I'm just going to live how I want. No, it's those moments where we ask the Spirit of God to prepare us for those days. That we don't steal the glory of God because I'm going to win this conflict in our army. I'm going to trench in there for 50 years in Olton, Texas. We're going to hate each other. No. It's when pride creeps in. And here's a quote of an article I read this week. It's a pride thing. It jumps in. This is where it comes from, this pride. It says, it's, it's, this is from John Bloom from an article. It says, it's just ugly, selfish pride. <clears throat> we don't want to place ourselves in a vulnerable place. We don't want to lose all the negotiating leverage in the relationships. We don't want to admit how foolish and selfish we really are. Once that cat's out of the bag, we'll never be able to bag it again. Dealing with conflict. We don't want to admit it's in us. He said, we'd rather our passions remain at war then surrender our pride. Even if it means our families, our friendships, and our churches suffer the collateral damage. Now, the reason I say that quote is because I was joking, but in those moments, we don't think about this, but I guarantee you, everybody in this room or can hear me can tell a story of post-conflict, looking back in the wreckage that's happened. Right? Am I, am I right or wrong? I mean, I'm, uh, we can look back and say, yeah, man, oh, and me and so I had it out. I'll, I'll, I'll use that as an example. Let's say hypothetically, me and my wife had an argument. Hypothetically, guys, I'm just saying. You don't think there's times and moments where we have arguments and things to look back and, oh, yeah, I won that argument. And look at the train wreck and the baggage that's behind us. You don't think in a church like ours, in, in the church globally, like people want to win arguments and frustrations and conflicts. We're not going to look at things. We're not going to do things biblically. And looking back and like, well, I guess I won, but Whoa. In the wake of that conflict is generations possibly of devastation. I think that's the moment when I think of how, how powerful Paul used, oh, excuse me, James used these words when he's talking about, man, it's, it's, you're, it's basically a spiritual adultery. You're setting your affections on the world. You don't care about me. And the collateral damage is the, sad, is the sad reality when we choose our way over God's way. In verse 4, he says that we become in, at enmity. We're enemies. This is, we become an enemy of God in those moments. And, it, and I literally, I, it, it's when this gets really real. This is not just a beef. This is not, that's whatever. It's not just an argument. It's not just whatever. In those moments, in those conflicts, in those battlegrounds, if you will, we choose our desires over God's. We're unwilling to look at ourselves. And I know this is not exhaustive. There's times when we have to, we have hard conversations. We deal with people. We have to forgive. We have to have conversations. And bring, there's all kinds of things. But the starting point of this is to look at our hearts. But God is still working in his grace. Look at verse 5. We're going to keep going. As that pride comes in, that pride jumps in, God's grace is there. Look at verse 5. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the Spirit that he caused to dwell within us? But he gives us more grace. I love that verse. He gives us more grace. Anybody need more grace in this room? Anybody? Just me? Okay. Just didn't know. He gives us more grace. That's why the Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. We talked about pride. I don't think I have to say this, but is there anybody in the room that would love to choose to be in opposition of God? 
but we do it. I do it. When I choose pride, I choose me, I choose being right, I choose all these things, I become proud in opposition to the Lord. I love verse 5 because there's that moment of repentance where God's working and convicting. Maybe even today when you're thinking about conflict and maybe you're thinking, Pastor, I don't want to hear this because I've, I've messed up. I don't always handle it the right way. That's good. I don't either. But I love what verse 5 says because he talks about that spirit of, that's in us that it jealously longs. You know what that means? It means that longing, when you set your affections using that, 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 that spiritual adult, when you, when you set your affections on somebody else, and, hey, I've won that argument, I've done this, I've done and, uh, and all of a sudden that internal conviction where God's just wooing you and drawing you and you feel broken and you're devastated because you're like, oh, the wreckage, look what it did. And verse 5 says that God gives you more grace and it begins to draw you back. He begins to bring you back. He begins to stir it up and you begin to say, God, I'm a mess. I messed up. I'm a train wreck. Because pride will increase our self-sufficiency. I got this. I don't need any help. Self-love, self-governance. And God sets himself directly opposed to that. Humility, when we're willing to say, I don't got this. I can't do this. I messed up. I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm causing more hurt. I'm hurting people. I'm doing these things. Humility opens the door for God's grace. He shows his favor to the humble. I, I hope I don't have to ask that question of who wants to be in opposition to God or who wants God's favor. I mean, if I'm doing an altar call, hey, everybody, come, if you want to be in opposition, come down this aisle, everybody. I hope nobody comes. We have humility and, and, and have favor from God. Who's going to come? To, I, I would hope that nobody, I hope that y'all would go all go around and come down here, right? But that's what James is trying to rekindle and shake us up. As a close, what are we supposed to do? You may be thinking, Pastor, I get it. Conflict happens. I need to look at myself. But what do I do? James tells us, look at verse 7. If you're a note taker, I'm going to give you six things from 7 through 10. Six things you can write down. And just newsflash, it's not about other people. <laughs> it's not about what they're needing to do or that God strike them down. I'm just kidding. It's not that. Number one, from, uh, let, me, let me read it first. Submit yourselves to God and resist the devil. He will flee from you. Come near to God. He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, well. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Number one from verse seven is to submit to God. It's going to go fast. So bottom line, he is God and we are not. I'm not in charge. He is in charge. In the same luxury by which we tell our children sometimes, I'm the parent. I'm in charge. I have authority. I'm the one who's going to try to help you. I'm the one that's going to... It's the same thing. We submit ourselves under the authority of who God is. Number two, verse 7b, if you will, we resist the devil. Quickly to resist something means you're going to put up a fight. If somebody tried to walk into here and kidnap your child, I hope that everybody in here would scratch and claw and the kids are going to fight. You're going to put up whatever fight you have to do. We will not let that happen. That's what it means to resist the devil. He's coming, this is not cliche, he's coming to steal and kill and destroy the church. Anything that is God's, he's going to try to kill it. 
He's going to try to put wedges between people. He's going to have like generations of conflict. He's going to ask you to not listen today. He's going to do all of these things. We've got to take our stand. We've got to resist. We've got to fight him. We've got to look around and other brothers and sisters and fight with them. Verse 8, number 3, we've got to draw near to God. Spend time with him, know him, abide in him. James says when we do that, when we draw near, what's he going to do? He draws near to us. Number four, pursue purity. From verse eight, come near to God, he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts. It means a pressing for holiness. We recognize sin and we avoid it. We push it away. We fight against it. Number five, in verse nine, says we grieve our sin, which literally means to lament which literally, if you break it down, means to be miserable. Let me translate for you. When you're in conflict and the Lord's kind of working on you, you don't just chalk it up to maybe some bad pizza, some indigestion. Maybe you think, the Holy Spirit's working on me, and I'm going I'm to, not that I can stop him, but I'm going to let him have his way. We grieve it. We get on our face and we you know, we could talk about a whole other thing about praying for our enemies, praying for those, but when we realize that we're in conflict and there's devastation and there's all these things that when the Holy Spirit reveals, David, you're taking glory from me because you're entrenched in this conflict and you're, you're making it about you. That I don't just say, oh, darn, like, okay. No, it's like, no, it's we to lament. We literally, it is a Holy Spirit thing is to be miserable and grieve because what breaks God's heart, hear this, what breaks his heart should break ours. Number six, and I'm done. From verse 10 is to be humble. Is that we realize, verse 10 says, humble yourself before the Lord, he's going to lift you up. That we realize our desperate need for him, and we can't do it. So when our lives are marked by conflict, the opposite of all these are true. When we're proud, we give in to Satan, and we pull away from God, and we live in sin, and our hearts get calloused, and we don't need God in those moments. Rather than being humble, we are proud, we are arrogant, it becomes the bedrock of the whole issue. And so as I, as I throw a lot at you today, and, and, and this is pretty intense stuff, I just, I've given you a lot to write down, a lot of things in the mirror, and look at ourselves. Here's the thing. I'm not asking you to look around and say, let me think of all the conflicts that are going on in my life. I hope there's not a ton of them, but let me think of all those. But I'm going to ask you in, in, a, in a preparatory thing of looking to the future. Now, if there's things that have gone on, you need to repent and go back and say you're sorry and, and really grieve and, and deal with us. That's one thing. But I'm asking you right now, the thing is moving forward. Are you distant from God? Are we setting our affections on other things? Could you draw near to Him today? Do we need to repent? Is your life marked by a submissive drawing near, pursuing purity? I grieve over my sin and humility. If not, then start there. That's where we start. Let's pray together. Before we sing, I just want to give you a moment. I know on a sermon like this, it's easy to think about other people. It's easy to think about conflicts with people or other people who have conflicts with people or whatever. But I'm just asking everybody that's in this space. Think about that mirror I pulled up with the children. I'm just asking you to put God's word as a mirror in front of you and just let it speak to you. He will, he will reveal, excuse me,
He'll show you where you're at and what he wants of you. My, my request today as pastor is just to listen to that and respond in obedience, whatever that looks like moving forward. You pray, and we're going to stand and sing. Would you stand as I pray, please? Father, we thank you for this moment. God, I just want to say thank you for the word of God. I thank you that we don't have to figure this out or guess how to handle these things. You've, through your spoken word, you've given us everything that we need through the word of God, through your spirit. God, know in a moment like this, you have begun to, if not already, reveal things in our hearts as we look in the mirror of what you're calling of us what you're asking of us. So for those in the room that truly, truly are wrestling, meet them where they're at. That spirit that you put in us, that your word tells us that it envies, it's drawing, you're, you're wooing us back, if you will. You want us to come back through repentance and forgiveness and grace upon grace. God, help us to live. Help us to to live in a way that you get all the glory that you rightly deserve. Not if, but when conflicts occur, may we do our part as believers to handle things your way, not our way. And God, that is impossible by ourselves. We need your help. We need your spirit. We need your conviction. We need other people in our lives to encourage us and help us. Would you do all of those things? So, Father, continue to be praised and and, and glorified in this opportunity as we worship in this invitation. And we thank you for Jesus. Amen. Let's sing together. I'll be here if I could pray with you.